Praise the Lord. You know, um, four times the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Four times. You think that if it's in the Bible once or twice, that's pretty good. But four times the Lord in his word said the just will live by faith. Now let me ask a qualifying question to begin with. How many of us believe that the Bible is God's word? Yeah, it really is his word. It really is what he wants to say. He said the just will live by faith. And when you when you hear that statement, I know all kinds of things come to mind. But let me just begin by saying this. It takes courage to live by faith. It takes real courage. Many people, in fact, maybe most people, especially church people, think that living by faith is a passive thing. If we live by faith, we'll just be nice people, we'll be nice to each other, we'll be sweet, and that's what people of faith are about. Well, people of faith ought to be kind, because love is kind. But we think that, that if we live by faith, we just sit, do nothing, and God does everything. Is that what the Bible teaches us? Don't answer out loud. Let's find out for just a moment. We've been teaching on Wednesday nights on the subject of the blessing of the Lord, but tonight I'm going to take off of that for a week because I really feel like that the Lord wanted me to do this tonight. Uh, I taught it last night at, the, at our other group, and I feel like I need to teach it tonight. It's, it's actually part of a series I'm doing in that group, but I'm going to make it work for tonight here. Living by faith is not passive. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, 12. He said, From the days of John the Baptist until now... The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, that's interesting because another place Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, he said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it almost sounds like he's talking about two different things. Well, he's not. He's talking about the same thing. God's pleasure is to give us the kingdom. But there's somebody out there who doesn't want us to get it. There's somebody who wants to steal it before we can have it. Okay, He's saying that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. If you're going to take the kingdom, you've got to take it by force. Because if you passively coast along in your Christian life, yeah, what about grace? We'll, we'll, we might talk about that later. But if you're just passive about it, you're not taking it. And somebody's going to take it from you. Somebody else will get your part of the kingdom, your part of the promise. We've got to take it. The violence and force that Jesus is referring to isn't physical. It's very spiritual because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spirit beings. We wrestle against uh, demonic forces, and we have to learn how to fight them. And I know we have this idea, well, when I go to church, I just want it to be a safe place. It is a safe place, but we need to be equipped. We need to know how to live and how to fight the enemy that's out there. That means the violence that's exercised isn't in my flesh, but it's in the realm of the spirit. I've got to know how to fight there. Faith cannot be passive. Listen to this passage of scripture. Now Jesus and the guys are on the lake. Big storm has come up. Jesus is taking a nap on the boat. And here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 8. Verse 24, and they came to him, the disciples came to Jesus and awoke him saying, Master, we perish. Another uh, gospel says, Master, don't you care that we perish? You know, they, they're like, Jesus, don't, don't you even care? 
I mean, I'm going through this hard thing. Don't you care? It's interesting. He says, then he arose, he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, don't try this at home, boys, because this is just for me. He didn't say that. He said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Think about this. Jesus totally intended for those disciples to handle that storm. He got up and he took care of it, but he asked them, where is your faith? Basically, why didn't you do something here? You see, faith is not passive. It's very aggressive. Jesus still intends for us to handle the storm. Sometimes by the leading of the Spirit, we speak and we say, peace, be still. Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, we just go through it. And we wind up on an island where we can pray for the sick and, and, and preach the gospel of Jesus. But we have to be able to hear, and that requires faith even. But I'll tell you, we must be people who exercise faith on our part. Much of the church spends much of its time waiting on God. Now, God doesn't operate in the realm of time, but God is waiting on us. Amen, Randy. That was really good. <laughs> Listen to this verse. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. We've studied that before, and it literally says, Have faith of God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Now, Jesus fully intends for us to move the mountains with violent faith. You can pray all day about your mountains. But until you speak with the voice of faith, they're going nowhere. You can confess all day. God's moving my mountains. God's moving my mountains. God's moving my mountains. Well, God never said he was moving your mountains. He said, if you will speak to them and believe what you say, they'll obey you. And they'll go. Now, the purpose of faith is not to get me my stuff. The purpose of faith is to get God his stuff. That's the reason we operate in faith. All right, we want to make sure he gets what he wants. They're not Mountains don't move until we speak to them with words of faith. Till we speak to them believing what God has said. We recognize this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. According to Romans 10, 17. As we hear and meditate in the word... Faith comes in our hearts. We must be people of faith. Now, why would we need to be people of faith? Well, you know, that way I can get my new Mercedes. Well, you know what? I found out that not everybody who, who believes from a new Mercedes gets one. Not every, because God didn't call everybody to have a new Mercedes. But whatever He's called you to, whatever He's assigned you to, it's going to take faith to get it. By the way, he's called you to something that is beyond what you can do in your own abilities. And what he's called you to requires faith. Because if I can get it without God, I don't need God. But when I need God, I have to believe him for what he called me to do. And it's not for me to get what I want. Again, it's for me to, for God to get what he wants to and through me. 
so his purpose can be accomplished. I know this. He wants me healed. I know this. He wants me prospered. He wants me delivered. He wants all those things for me, not so that I can just sit, sit around and do nothing, but so that I now can get up and do what he's called me to do and accomplish his purpose. Y'all still with me so far? The Apostle Paul referred to what he called the fight of faith. Faith is a fight. It's a fight of faith. He, he instructed us to put on the armor of God. That means the walk of faith is not necessarily a walk in the park. It means there's an enemy to fight. There's someone we have to fight against. The walk of faith is like this bold stride in the battlefield of the Spirit. And that's where God's calling us. He's calling us in these places. But it takes courage to fight in the arena of the Spirit. The biggest key to having courage to fight the fight of faith is your relationship with God. Faith comes from the Word. But I'm telling you, it's going to take a relationship with God to walk by faith. What most Christians do, most people do, is they wait, they, they rock along pretty good, and then when the emergency comes, the problem arises, all of a sudden, all of a sudden now they got to have something from God. They try to muster up faith. But they haven't been in the Word they don't have any scripture to rely upon. They have no relationship with God. And now we expect God to operate like he's my heavenly butler and just come and do what I tell him to do. Faith is something we grow in, something we build in our lives. Here's what the scripture says in Psalm 27:14: Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What does that mean? Wait on the Lord. That means by faith I'm just waiting for God. No, that isn't what it means at all. The word wait from the Hebrew language means to bind together by twisting. It means you need to wrap yourself up in God. We get the English word wicker from this Hebrew word. It means to wrap yourself up. Wrap up in God. It's talking about a relationship that your life is intertwined with Him. Intertwined with His purpose. Intertwined with Him. The scripture says that as we intertwine ourselves with God, we can be of good courage and He will strengthen our heart. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be involved with Him. Heart courage comes from God. The only way to have that kind of courage is by faith and trust in what the Lord has promised us He called us to do. Listen to this verse. Psalm 31 verse 24. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart all ye that hope in the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Courage from the Lord is a matter of the condition of my heart. And when, I, when my heart is wrapped up in Him, courage is in my heart. Then I'm in the Word and I'm meditating and faith comes to me as well. Courage to fight a fight of faith and to walk by faith comes as our mind is renewed in the Word regarding what God has said. Okay, so I said all that to take me to this text here. We're going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. If you have a Bible or something to look at, you're welcome to do that. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 8. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. 
greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded in thee also. Therefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. I liked all of it except the last sentence. Do you want me to read that one to you again? And be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Most people don't ever like that sentence. We're going to talk a little bit about warfare. If you read, if you, if you read and study the, the, the little book of 2 Timothy, you're going to find that in every chapter of the book, you're going to find verses that have to do with a battle of faith, with a fight of faith, with warfare, with afflictions, going through it for the sake of the gospel. And most of us are like, I don't want, I don't want that. I just want the good news. Well, this is going to be really good news before we get finished. If you look at the, at the little books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you're going to find they're very different books. The themes are different. All about them is different. 1 Timothy is about the establishment of the church and setting things in order in Ephesus. Timothy's problems in 1 Timothy are how do you handle this kind of growth? I mean, that church was growing exponentially. That's the problem every preacher wants to have. Where do we put the people? Historians tell us that at that time, the time of this writing, that, that, that the church in Ephesus had maybe 100,000 people. Now, there was no building in Ephesus that was that large, so they met all over the city, and there were pastors everywhere. And so when Paul came later, and, and it was at the shore, and the pastors came out to him, they came from all those small groups throughout the city. But Timothy is the senior pastor of all those people. I mean, 100,000 of them. I mean... He's got problems. Do you know with every church? I mean, you can have a church of five and you got problems. But if you've got 100,000 people, you've got some problems. I don't know if you've ever read the first five or six chapters of the book of Acts. They always had problems. I mean, they, were, they had all kinds. They had to fix things as they went. Timothy, his questions to Paul were, what do I do? Now, in 2 Timothy, though, it's a whole different set of problems. By the time... Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the world had changed. Now all of a sudden there's this guy in Rome who's, who, who is the emperor. His name is Nero. He hates the Christians. He hates them. Study history and you will find that Nero was personally responsible for the execution of Paul and the execution of Peter. He hated Christians. Now Christians are the enemy of the state. They're hunted by the Romans. They're called unpatriotic because of the practices. They are enemies of the state. Now all of a sudden in 2 Timothy, Timothy's huge church is declining in numbers. And even the leaders of his church are defecting because they're afraid of the Romans. They don't want to die. Timothy himself is contemplating quitting He's tired. He's, he, he's for, in fear of his own life. I mean, the political climate in the time and the tyranny of Nero was unlike the world has seen. I mean, Nero hated them and always was wanting to execute them immediately. Well, he wanted to torture them first and then let them be executed. Well, let me just say something tonight. 
We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a battle for our nation. We're in a battle for our families, our children, our grandchildren, our futures. There's a battle here. We're in a battle for the nation of Israel. There's a battle that's going on. And I'll tell you, if Christians don't fight this fight of faith, there won't, there won't be a victory. The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's this fight of faith. And I tell you, the devil wants to stop you. He wants to stop me. He doesn't want any one of us to become the man or woman of God we're supposed to be. Sometimes we get this idea as we get more mature in life. You young ladies don't understand this yet. But as we get more mature in life, it's like, I just want to rest. Listen, we get to rest forever when we leave here. I don't know. We're not, we're not going to rest. We're going to be like 30 years old in heaven. We're going to be dancing and running and shouting and worshiping Jesus. And, you know, we'll be able to get on our knees like we did when we were 30. It'll be great. And we won't have a physical body like this one. It'll be a glorified body. We won't even get tired or hungry. Well, man, we've been in the presence of God. We've had to go to the bathroom. Wouldn't it be awesome when that happens? But the devil wants us to quit. He wants us to quit. He wants the fight of faith to intimidate us. He wants to intimidate us. He wants us to stop. Listen to this. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Well, they're all my favorite verses when I'm reading them. <laughs> Philippians 1.28. This is from the Amplified Bible. It says, And do not for a moment be frightened, not even for a moment, be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. Isn't that an awesome passage? Don't for a moment, he said, be intimidated by our adversary. Not for a moment. When you stand confidently in what God has said, what God's called us to, what he's called this nation to, I mean, it's a clear sign to the devil of his impending doom. You know, uh, Carmen used to sing that song, I don't know, back in the 80s, I think. And in the song, in one line, I just remember this one, I don't remember the song, but one line of the song says, when the devil comes and, and reminds me of my past, I just remind him of his future. There is an impending doom for him. He's full of wrath. He wants to take as many people as he can, but he's not taking us. Not going to happen. Not today, Satan. Not today. Let's look at this passage for just a minute. Verses 1 and 2. Let me read them again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you got to remember, Timothy is the spiritual son of Paul. Paul led him to the Lord. In this letter, I mean, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, these letters are written in response to Timothy writing letters to Paul. And Paul is actually answering Timothy 
He had these questions, and Paul's writing back to him. I mean, Paul understands what's going on with Timothy. I mean, after all, Paul is in a pretty big fight himself, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But I love what, I'm going to mention this first of all. He says, I like the way he starts. He says, he talks about, he's called according to the promise of life. The promise of life. That's a powerful statement. The promise of life. Jesus came that we might have and enjoy our lives in abundance to the full till they overflow. Jesus came to bring us abundant life. Let me say this to you. Even in the fight, we're to have abundant life. The devil has no right to demand that we live as dead men walking. We have abundant life. The word here is it's zoe for life. It means the life of blessing, the life quality of God. The word life speaks of this, of this supernatural connection with God that transcends the physical world. Life connected to God. No matter what we're going through, we have that life. We must always keep our eye on the prize and never give up on enjoying our lives no matter what is going on around. You know, it doesn't all have to be serious and hard. We need to enjoy life. Always enjoy life. I like what he says to him. He tells him, he says, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. That's an interesting way because Paul includes the word mercy with grace and peace. In all of his epistles, he talks about grace and peace, but only in three of them does he talk about mercy. First Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus. He adds mercy to the salutation. Mercy. I mean, in 1 Timothy, he's overwhelmed by growth. 2 Timothy, he's overwhelmed by the defections from his church and the shrinkage of his church. In Titus, I love this. This is kind of a funny verse. In Titus 1.12, Titus was sent to the Cretans to, to start a church there and to pastor them. And he says, to, he says to Titus, he says, one of themselves, a Cretan, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars. Always liars. <laughs> How about starting that church? How many are happy this morning? They all lied if they said yes, because they're always liars, he said. Evil beasts and slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. I mean, just imagine being the pastor of that group of people. I might have been. I'm not sure. No, I was not. Never have been. When faced with this war in the spirit, these overwhelming odds that seem to be against us, we need grace which is God's supernatural favor shield. We need peace, which is God's supernaturally encasing our heart from the stress of the situation. And we need mercy. Mercy. The word mercy literally means compassion. It, 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 we, we said it before in another teaching. It, it, it means to have the bowels yearn, something moving on the inside of you that causes you to move on the outside. You know, when your bowels yearn, you got to go move somewhere. And he said, Jesus, is, this is his empathy because he's experienced every temptation, every trial known to man, and then some. And that makes him even more willing to stand with us in the midst of our problem. We need his mercy. It, it, was, it was his compassion that, 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 that compelled him to heal all that came to him. He saw the sick, and it says he was moved with compassion. And healed them all. His compassion wasn't just feeling sorry for people. It was doing something about it. Mercy is, 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 is forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. 
Jesus, it's within his power to punish or harm us, but he gives us compassion. Mercy is granting relief when no relief is due. Mercy is, is like grace and it does good to people. Mercy is compassion on those who are overwhelmed. We need, in the, I tell you, in these times, we need his mercy. We've got to fight to fight. It's not time to quit until we get to see Jesus. It's not time to quit. Part of winning the fight of faith is coming to the place of faith when you realize he has mercy when we deserve judgment. I believe there's mercy for our nation. I believe there's mercy for our children and our grandchildren. I believe there's mercy. And we need to call on that mercy. Verse 3 says, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. And Paul's going through a pretty tough time himself here. When he's writing this letter, he's writing this letter to Timothy, this second Timothy, from a Roman prison. From prison, he's writing to Timothy. He's in a prison cell with, with Timothy's letter in one hand, writing this letter in the other hand, awaiting what he called was his departure. He knows that some soldiers are going to come shortly, take him west of town on the Ostian Way and execute him there. It's a tough time for him. So it's, he understands that in this tough time, you've got to begin to remember some things. Got to remember some things. Timothy's in trouble. Paul knows he's in trouble. Timothy's in jeopardy of his life. And that's because of his relationship with Paul and Jesus. So Paul, so Paul begins to write to him. Timothy's not only in jeopardy of his life, he, he's, he's been wounded by all these people that are leaving him. Anybody ever left you? They've been wounded by people who, who were, you know, will always be with you. And then they're not. And that's happening to Timothy every day. I mean, Timothy is thinking about quitting. I love Paul. Rather than rebuking him, he begins to encourage him. The first thing he says is, I thank God for you. I, instead of, I remember my people are like, you better not leave me. Look at all I've done for you. No, he just said, thank God for you. I just thank God for you. He said, I'm always thankful for you and I'm always in remembrance of you. This, this Greek word remembrance, it's kind of an interesting word. It has a couple of different meanings. The first meaning of, of this word remembrance means a grave, a grave, a tomb or a sepulcher. It's like, well, what does a grave have to do with remembrance? And what could it have to do with prayer? Here's what I know. When you're in a fight spiritually, I mean, you're fighting for it. Before we can begin to pray, we've got to dig past the confusion. And we've got to dig past the frustration of death. The fear is all about death. All about somebody dying. I mean, to successfully pray through situations in, in, in the battlefront, we've got to make a conscious decision to pray and get our minds clear of the death threats of the enemy. Because he's always threatening He's always wanting us to believe him. Paul's in a prison cell waiting for his execution. And the only way he's going to be able to pray effectively for his partner and son, Timothy, was to remember. Begin to remember. He had to put aside the current situation and begin to remember some good things. And there's where Christians miss it. You've got to begin to remember when Satan attacks, I mean, one of the main avenues he gets in is through discouragement. 
by making you afraid. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if it, listen, when that happens, we've got to dig past the hurt of right now and remember what God has already done. We could testify in our room tonight. We could testify of all the things that God has done. He has been faithful to us. He has been good to us. We've got to dig past that. I mean, that'll take some time maybe, but we've got to take the time. We need to recall the victories that the Lord has delivered me through in the past. His arm is short that he can no longer save. He's not the God who was. He is God. He is God. We've got to reflect on what the Lord has done. Listen, he would not have delivered you in the past just to bring you here and let you go. That isn't who he is. That's not who he is. Let me read you a verse of scripture. This is really, this, now this is my new favorite verse right here. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 5. This is the last half of the verse out of the Amplified. I'm going to read it just like it's written. He, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. In the Greek language, four times, it says he will not. He will not fail you. He will not give you up. I am so thankful that he will not give up on me. That's his promise. He said, I won't, I won't in any degree leave you. Not in any degree. Or forsake you. He is faithful. I'll tell you, when you begin to re realize all the good he has done, before a few minutes go by, you'll be thanking him. You'll be, your heart will be so full of gratitude because of all that God has already done. Man. That's, that's where we need to be. We need to be in this place of knowing. And I'll tell you, when you get a heart of gratitude, you can pray, can't you? You can pray fervently. You can pray constantly. It makes it easy to pray. In, the, in, in this place of, of warfare, we've got to learn how to pray in faith. The only way to pray in faith is to pray confidently and to remember what God's done. Dig past the, the death threat of what we're facing. This word, this word remembrance also means a statue. A memorial, a monument. Now, what does that mean? How does that even fit for prayer? Here's how it fits. When we pray for those in trouble, we build a memorial in the presence of God on their behalf. We begin to build this memorial. I, tonight, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to God for my great-grandmother. Listen, I was raised North American heathen white trash. <laughs> We said we were Baptists only because we didn't have to go. Because once saved, you were always saved. You didn't have to worry about it. If you walked that aisle when you were seven, you were done. That's all you had to do from then on. And there was the age of accountability, and there was the age when you didn't have to go back. I, I couldn't figure out which one was which. But, but I had a great-grandmother. She loved Jesus. I mean she loved Jesus. She was Church of Christ. She loved Jesus so much. The reason I went to the Baptist church is because my mom didn't want me to go to the Church of Christ. So they dropped me off at the Baptist church so I finally got saved. But my great-grandmother, she prayed for me. Every night she prayed for me. 
I used to spend the night with her as many nights as I could. And every night she would tell me, you're going to be a man of God. And she would pray. And I know that, man, she was building these memorials in the presence of the Father. And I, I thank God, every time he turned around, it's like, well, Ethel's at it again. There's Randy. Well, there's Randy. I think about in heaven right now, tonight, God, and by the way, those are still there. Her prayers are still effective. I think tonight, everywhere God looks, he sees another Voight kid. All the time. Because we have prayed and we have spent time seeking God for those kids. Just as you have. For those grandkids. I mean, when God turns around, it's like, oh, there's another one. Well, there's another void right there. Oh, there's another void right there. Michael, there's another void over there. Because we pray and we build a memorial and God looks at them. Paul is saying to Timothy, my intent is to pray and pray and pray for you until I've stacked the throne room with your name. Wherever God looks, he sees that. Listen, we all need prayer partners like that, don't we? Can I tell you something? We all need to be prayer partners like that where we're praying and, and doing that. Our nation needs us to pray for it. Our president needs us to put his name before the Father. We need, we need to be that. Man, let me look. Let's go to verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that's in you. I mean, he's talking about a real faith, not a fake faith, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Here's more remembering going on. He says, you know what? I remember. Paul said, I remember the unfeigned faith that's in you. Paul reminds Timothy of how faithful Timothy has been. That's just like God, isn't it? God sees you like he called you. Paul didn't see Timothy as the one who wanted to quit. He saw Timothy as being a man of faith. When Timothy's thinking about quitting, Paul reminds him that he's faithful and not a quitter. Man, we need, we need to do that with our children, our grandchildren. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget God's faithfulness? I mean, we go through this problem and it's so large, it seems like that's all we can see is the problem and we forget what he's done. Paul tells him to remember the faith of his mother, the faith of his grandmother, remember the faith that's in him. He tells, he's basically saying, Here, listen to this, Timothy, God has never let you or your family down ever. I've watched it happen in your mama, your grandma, and in you. It's not going to happen. We need to make sure that we understand that. He reminds him that if God is yet to fail him, he's not going to fail him. We've got to understand. Listen, when, when, when we go through the difficulty, we didn't just remember, how did he, did he, didn't he do this before for me? Did, did one time, didn't, didn't he do it? Now, he may not do it the same way, but he's going to be faithful to us. He will do it. He will do what he says he will do. We need to remember it. Man, when we're sick, remember how he healed me in the past. I think if we went around this room, we asked, anybody ever got healed by the Lord? We'd all have, have a testimony. Anybody ever get delivered financially by the Lord? Yeah, yeah, we'd have testimonies. Now, he may not do it the same way, but he's going to do it if we'll, just, if we'll just follow him. I mean, the Lord's Supper, Jesus instructed the disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because it's so easy to forget. It's often easy to forget. Paul is telling Timothy, is what he's telling him, quit 
worrying about what may go wrong and begin to meditate on the faithfulness of God. Meditate on the faithfulness of God. Quit worrying. Can I just say something to you? Worry is fear. It's basically a down payment on something you may never purchase. It's fear. It's tormenting. Because that's what the Bible says. In, in fear, there's torment. Worry torments us. My mother always tells me, she says, I'm just a worrier. And I'm like, if you say so. She goes, why don't you worry? I said, because I'm not worried. God is faithful to us, Mom. He's always been faithful to us. We don't have to be worriers. Here, here's the way Jesus said it. He said in Mark chapter 6, No man can serve two masters. This is pretty powerful. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, how does that go with what I'm talking about? Listen to this. The very next statement. Therefore, since you can't serve God and something else, is what he's saying. You can, you can either serve God or you can serve worry. Years ago, there was this guy... At, the, at a full gospel businessmen's meeting in Lubbock at Trinity Church. His name was Drummond Tom. I'll never forget. I don't remember. He was from South Africa. And several times during his sermon, he would say, he said, and the Lord told me, when I worry, you can worry. <laughs> and he's not worried. Jesus said, you can't serve two things. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life. In view of the fact you can't serve two things at once, Either God is your master <laughs> or something else is. Jesus said, take no thought. The, the phrase take no thought literally means take no anxious thought. Take no worried thought. Well, I can't help it. I'm just a worrier. Well, if you couldn't help it, Jesus wouldn't have said it this way. If you couldn't help it, he would say, now, if you can, Take no, I understand some of y'all are warriors, but if you cannot worry, don't, don't do it, okay? No, he, he directly said, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Jesus said, I mean, he's just like, don't worry. Well, how, do we, how do we not worry? I mean... Listen, when we do it right, we're going to feel like we're irresponsible. Because everybody will be worried and we won't be. Aren't you worried? No. Aren't, aren't, doesn't that bother you? No. Take no thought. And then he tells us how. He said, behold the fowls of the air. The word behold means look at. Look at the birds, is what he said. For they sow not... Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Hear what Jesus said. Quit looking at this thing that is trying to rule your life. Quit looking at it. If it has your attention, if it has your focus, it's bringing torment to you, quit looking at it. And look at something else. He said, go look at some birds. 
Really, Jesus? Look at the birds. He said, watch them. Have you ever looked at birds? If you haven't had any birds, watch come to my backyard. I've got these fat, fat white-winged doves in my backyard. I mean, they never worry about what they're going to eat. I mean, they eat so much they can barely fly. They eat so much. They're big, fat birds in my backyard. They're not worried. They're not worried where the next meal is coming from. Because after they eat all my pecans, they can go eat somebody else's pecans. After they eat my peaches, they'll go find some other peaches to eat. They're not worried about it. They never worry. They... Jesus, Jesus said the birds. He says, he says, you know, they don't sow. They don't reap. They just eat. They don't gather in the barns. They just eat. They're not worried about a thing. He said, watch them. Watch the birds. Watch the birds. And I love what he says at the end of that verse. He says, are you not much better than they? He says, you're way more important than a bird. I don't care what the animal people say. You're way more important than an animal. (laughs) How do I know Jesus said so? Get your eyes off of the the thing, the master that's trying to tug at you and look at the master. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you look at the master, your eternity won't be a disaster. You've got to look. At the he said, get your eyes off. Get your eyes off the problem. Which of you, by taking thought, by taking a, a worrisome thought, can add one cubit to his stature? You could worry all day and try to get taller, but it's not going to happen to you. It's not going. You can worry and worry. I watched an episode of, of, of Andy Griffith one time, and Barney was too short, and they started hanging him in a closet so he could get taller. Because <laughs> they were worried about it. Jesus said, don't worry about that. There's nothing you can do about it. When you can't do anything about it, why worry? I mean, it's like we worry and we worry and we worry. Have you ever stayed awake all night worrying about something? Yes. Oh, I have. I mean, it's like I'm laying in bed. It's like, oh, no, no, that's not the answer. Oh, Lord, I've got to get the answer. I've got to find the answer. And I think about it and I think about it and I think about it. And I just can't come up with the answer. And it's just worrisome and worrisome and worrisome. It's kind of like if you had a file drawer and you had to go find a document. And you opened the file drawer and you went through from A to Z. And you're looking through every document all the way through. And you can't find the document. So then you go through Z to A all the way back and you still can't find the document. You go through A to Z and you try to find the document. You go from Z to A and you keep looking back and forth, back and forth, trying to find the document. Well, can I tell you something? You can't find it if it's not there. If the answer comes from God, that's where you need to get it. If in your own figuring it out, you can't figure it out, that's when we go to Him. He's the only one who can handle that type of stuff. He said, and why take thought for your clothes? I like this. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He said Solomon on his best day didn't look that good. Thinking it was the day the queen of Sheba came, you know. And she came and she saw this splendor and it took her breath away. He said, the lilies are better than that, better clothed than Solomon was. Why would we worry? He says, take no thought, take no thought, 
Take no thought. Then Then he says in verse 31, Take no thought saying. The moment you speak your worry, you just took it. Don't give voice to it. Don't let it stay. What do I say then? I say what God says. I say whatever I find in the scripture. That's what I say. I don't take it. I choose not to take it. Yeah, but, but I can't help what comes in my head. You, don't, you can't help that part, but you can help what comes out of your mouth. You don't have to take them. You don't have to take the thoughts. You don't have, I've, heard, I've heard a preacher say one time, he had hair. No, I don't think he did either. But he said, you, you may not can control if a bird flies over your head. But you can control whether it builds a nest in your hair or not. You don't have to take the thought. You don't have to take the thought. You see, we have to realize tonight. He, Paul said, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't have fear. The Amplified says it this way, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing, fawning fear, but He's given us a spirit of power and love, and I like this part, and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. If you're making a choice out of fear, you'll be wrong most of the time. God has given us a spirit of a calm, well-balanced mind. If my mind isn't calm, it's not from God. We're going to fight a fight of faith. We're not going to worry. We could sit here tonight and worry about what will happen in America. Or we could get in faith and begin to confess what God says. We can be worried about our grandchildren, our children, our loved ones. Our parents, maybe. Worry isn't going to do anything for them. What's going to do for them is fighting a fight of faith in the Spirit. we got to focus on something other than the problem so we can fight the fight effectively. We've got to look away from fear. Look away from worry. And look to what God has said. And we're going to pick up right there next time and talk about that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. What I thank you for, Lord, is that there's a fight to fight, and it's a good fight, and we win. We win because of you. We win because of your spirit, because of your power, because of what you lead us to. Father, tonight, we give you praise, and we give you honor for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.